Hey, it's Drew Horning. L. Newlands and myself have a conversation which you're about to listen to. And in addition to her fantastic Scottish accent, you'll hear Elle talk about her process and her Q2, both at White Sulphur Springs. In her process, it was it had to be moved in the middle because of a flood that came down the White Sulphur Springs property. In her Q2 on that same property, a fire was nearby and it had to end and be evacuated. The site and all the students had to be evacuated. How would you deal with that? L actually uses those events to support her personal growth. Please enjoy. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning, and on this podcast, we catch up with graduates of the process and have a conversation with them about how their work in the process is informing their life outside of the process, how their spirit and how their love are living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoffman Podcast. Elle Newlands is on the show today. So looking forward to this conversation. Welcome, Elle. Hi, how are you? How are you all? <laughs> <laughs> it is great to have you here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Will you introduce yourself, share a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. I'm Elle Newlands. I originally come from Glasgow in Scotland. I came out to Los Angeles to pursue uh, music and then I started acting and now I have made a home here and that's what I do. And I predominantly right now, during the pandemic, a lot of things shut down. So I've been really making my living from voice acting. So that's that's me. <laughs> you have a beautiful Scottish accent. <laughs> a wee brogue. A wee brogue. Um, how long have you been in the States? Uh, I was thinking about that the other day. I think it's coming up on 20 years, actually. And it is much of the work you do where you use your accent, or do you move into different accents for different voiceover work? Yeah, I would say predominantly that I get hired, you know, for Scottish or British. I would say actually most of my stuff is is British, like, you know, what we would call what this is where I got confused because when I first moved here, people would say, can you do an English accent? And I'd be like, yes, of course I can, you know, start talking like this. And then they'd be like, no, an American. So I guess here, don't even ask me, it's confusing. Here, an English accent means American, but I would predominantly do British or Scottish. I've done some Irish, but I've also done Scandinavian and American, I'm trying to think, Russian. Or like an Eastern European accent. I've done, I've done it all. How's that sound? Uh, when I talk like this, you know, like talk, I, it's, it's hard to bring out. Uh, <laughs> I sound like Count Chocula. <laughs> or the Count, from, uh, the Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> so, yeah, right. So the people I know who have good voices often have great ears. Do you notice you listen well and can hear and pick up? these things rather quickly? 
Yes. So when I was a child, um, my mother said I would read the phone book. I guess I was a voracious reader. And for me, I would take any book that I had and I would uh, read it in accents or characters. And I did that like, you know, that was how I entertained myself. I had an active, vivid imagination from childhood. And so I've been and then I would do impersonations at family parties when I was a kid. You know, I would I can't even remember who I would do, but I would impersonate people. And so I think I've always been good at mimic. Um, I've done some some voice replacement work. Uh, I did the voice in a video game. I did the voice for Kate Blanchett uh, in How to Train Your Dragon. And I also did Emmanuel Barth. I think that's how you say her name. She's the French actress from Mission Impossible. I did a little bit for her. And then I did, um, is it Vanessa Redgrave? I did a little thing for her in a video game. So it's like sometimes I'll do like, you know, voice replacement because I'm good at listening and then mimicking. But the accent thing has always definitely always come easily to me but usually it's better if i'm reading something you know <laughs> so l this world of video game voiceovers i guess it's a it's a bazillion dollar industry these video games and the need for voiceovers right it is it is um and it's become they're sort of saying that video games are the new movie space it's like during the pandemic things shifted and you know people weren't going to movie theaters and so a lot of it people were really getting immersed in video games and i know it's controversial because people often say well video games are very violent and they cause violence but i, I think studies have shown that they don't <laughs> what they're saying is that video games actually help people work through a lot of of their aggressions I've talked to people who have ADHD, you know, or focusing issues. And so a lot of these games, depending on the game they play, it's like, you know, it helps them focus. Anyone I know who's an avid gamer says that it's it's something they do to really like chill out. I don't play games myself, so I, I don't I don't know, but I've asked people. So let's move from this video game and voiceover world to your pre-process. What caused you to sign up for this week-long immersive experience? You know, I had a friend that had done the process and I'd been friends with her for a few years and I realized I had a lot of unresolved trauma from earlier in my life. And I had talked to her a few times and she had just kept saying, you should go do Hoffman, you should, do, you should go do Hoffman. And I just kept putting it off. I kept finding reasons not to. And then world events shall we say, just there was stuff happening in the world and I was just feeling overloaded with, I guess, the collective energy and I just was feeling helpless and I was feeling very snowed under and I realized I just, I need to go and figure out how to address some of this unprocessed earlier trauma. I don't know, I just trusted my friend. She said that it was life-changing for her, so, and I did find it to be life-changing. I want to highlight that particular piece there of this thing that you kept putting off and putting off and you know you should go and you trusted your friend but you still didn't go so can you say uh, a, f a little bit more about that transition between thinking about it and signing up for it because i'm sure uh many of our listeners had that same transition between something that they had considered versus something they actually were ready to put their deposit down and sign up for. What happened? 
And I know world events really sounds like they expedited that. Yes, world events very much expedited it. Um, I think I was also at that time in my life, I was going through that my marriage was failing and I just, I knew that I had to do something different. I had to just take a chance. And I'm also a firm believer that things happen when they're supposed to. And I think that I follow what I would call a more spiritual path for myself. And like, I, I try to check in with, with my own intuition and, and also like, I look for signs. I don't know. I'm just that kind of person. It, it came together and I just, I felt like it was, it was just, and intuitively I just knew I was like, this is the time, you know, you can have a thought about something and you can want to do something, but sometimes it's not, it's not quite the right time. But at that time, it was just, no, this is, this is it. This is the time to go. And so you headed off to your process. Was it that kind of this is right feeling the first couple days? Or how were your first moments and days in the process? I do remember at one point, Linda told me that if I couldn't sleep, then they were going to have to send me home because I was, I had so much, I was, I had, I was half really, really struggling with anxiety very, very badly at that time in my life. And I couldn't sleep. Um, that was a big problem for me in my life was my chronic insomnia due to anxiety. And I do remember you guys do the checks for a reason. And I do remember that the first, I think, the first night and maybe into the second night, I just, I didn't sleep a wink. I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't. And so, you know, my teacher pulled me aside and she sat with me and we talked about it and then we did some work around it. <laughs> you know, I think we did some bashing, we did some recycling, like we really worked around this fear. I mean, it was trauma. I had trauma around releasing and letting go and, you know, letting go of control and being in a strange place where I was, you know, I had to trust people and, so that was hard for me. And so I would say the process in terms of what the process brought up for me, it was not easy. But, you know, I've also talked to other people about this, that the process is designed for one thing. But when you come with trauma, that's a whole other thing. It's like, you know, that's something you have to work through on top of what you're working through. And so that I'm just really glad that I had the teacher that I had because she was very, very skilled at that. And so, Elle, I'm just thinking about you because you shared something quite powerful. You said, uh, because of what I've gone through in my life on some level, because of what I've gone through in my life, it was hard for me to let go and surrender to the process in those first couple days. Oh, yeah. And so, as those days, you know, the weekend moved into Monday, although people forget what day it is all the time, what slowly began to happen and how did you allow yourself to surrender to the healing that was there for you? I'm sort of laughing a little because I, I want to give you like a story where it was wonderful, but we were actually the process that had the we had a natural disaster happen. <laughs> oh no, this is good. This is good. So, well, it wasn't it's not good, but th oftentimes the good stories have the meat of real struggle. And will you share a little bit about why that process in particular, although you didn't know it, what, what happened in the world for you guys in that process? 
I'll never forget this because the world was, it was like, it was like the world itself was going through a massive transition. It was a very tense political time. And so, you know, it was very stressful to be in the world at that time. And so then when we got there, it was pouring with rain and which I loved. And, you know, I would, I had taken like my, my, you know, like my rain boots and like a rain jacket and they always have umbrellas. And so I would go outside and just sit under the, the redwoods every minute I had, I would be outside sitting in the rain. And I'm sure people thought I was cuckoo, but it just, the land there really, I really tapped into just like the land and the, the energy of, of like that space. It was very, very powerful. And so the first couple of days we were we were all starting to trust each other and then let's just say we were in a very powerful exercise and somebody threw open the door and started saying emergency emergency but we all it was what's so fascinating because i talked to everyone afterwards was we were all so relaxed into the process at that point and we just trusted what was happening that every single one of us just thought that was part of this this exercise that we were doing and so nobody really, everybody just kind of went, oh, wow, where's this going? You know, and they're like, I know I did. I was like, where's this going? Like, what's happening? So, and, and nobody skipped a beat. They continued on, the exercise ended. And then we were told that the hillside had collapsed onto the office. The water had risen out of the river and I was in the accommodation next to the river. The water had come, had come up, gone into the bedrooms and had also flooded out all of the, a lot of the cars that were in the parking lot, that's how high it had risen. And so the fire department had said, you have to leave. It's now, you know, it's, it's, you have to evacuate because it's dangerous because like, you know, a structure had been damaged. And for people who haven't taken the process at White Sulphur Springs, it's in a valley, a narrow valley. It's uh, full of redwoods and pine trees and the creek runs through it and uh, when that creek rises it easily overflows and it's very much in the shade and when it rains in that little valley it feels like that's all there is in the world is this wetness and so when the fire department came and said you had to evacuate what was that like in the middle of your process Actually, like, I do remember this. I, I was very clear and lucid because, you know, I, I, I have already lived in trauma so much in my life that it, I was very present. I don't check out during those kinds of times. I'm actually extremely present. Like, that's something I realized about myself. And so we just jumped to it and, and you know, everybody was wrangled very, very quickly. We just all carpooled. We got our stuff together. They actually let us finish the exercise because there's a part of it where, which is outside. So once we had established we were all safe and we had gotten all our bags and together and we were ready to go, it was only one part of the uh, facility that was a problem. The rest was fine. So they were like, look, we, we want you to have this experience because we were actually going to have to go to a hotel. And so we finished up and then we all just got in cars and we drove over to the hotel. And it was very strange because the two days or the three days that we had been in White Sulphur Springs were enough that to go back into the world, it was very jarring. To go into a hotel and be around TVs and, and newspapers and people on phones and bars, and it was, it was so hard. But I have to say that everybody at Hoffman just 
it was so seamless for us and I can only imagine how unbelievably difficult that was to put together but for us it was just a case of finish your exercise get in the cars and now here's your hotel room you know for us it was like the transition but behind the scenes it must have been absolute chaos at that point you arrive at the hotel with newspapers and tvs and other people outside of the process and and yet you continue your week in the healing that unfolded for you so what happened then? Uh, well, because none of us had ever done it before, because I think you only do the process once. You know, I've done the Q2 a couple of times because there's an, an extra story attached to, of course, um, <laughs> which we can get to if you want. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the process, you only do it once. So we didn't really know. We didn't know what the process looked like. So for us, it was just a case of, okay, it's not great. They were very good about taking phones. Like there were no TVs in our rooms. They, they took the phones out. They took the TVs out, which I wanted. You know, I did not want any connection to the outside world. That was why I had gone to this. And so it was good. It was like, you know, we just, we had different rooms and they set them up and we did as many exercises. They just kept it going. They just did it. And then we were even able to do bashing, which I know is integral to the process. And then there's at the end again it was like we just we didn't we don't know what we quote unquote missed and not doing it the other way because this is the only way we know how to do it so we just went with it it was hard though I'm not gonna lie it was hard and it was especially hard for me because I was already struggling with letting go and then all of a sudden it was like oh it, it, well, now you have to start over somewhere else as you think to your process what were you able to heal that you feel grateful for about the, the Hoffman process? What happened for you? So for me, if I'm going to be dead honest, uh, I don't think that I was able to close the healing. I think what happened for me was an opening at the process. It was not a closure. It was an opening of things that I had never been given permission to feel I had never been given permission to even admit was was my experience and so the process for me opened up a part of myself probably inner child if that's a word that people are familiar with you know the inner child aspect the inner child healing that's the beginning of it for me I decided I was I was so into this work that I I had gone to a couple of uh, grad groups and I was like, I would really like to lead some some grad groups. And, and I did. So I went through, you know, I went through it and then I started leading some grad groups. And then about six months after the process, I realized I wasn't doing so great. Like I just, a lot of stuff was coming up. And I, I, I think like that's going back to what I said. It was like I, I had opened something up that I had never, ever had permission to open up before. And so for me... And again, this is nothing to do with the process per se. This is just my own personal trauma and my own life that was like, I, I needed support, you know, so I had, I reached out and like, I, I ended up doing a lot of, you know, work with, with the teachers and I decided to come back for a Q2. Sure. I, I, that's such a normal part of it that as you say so beautifully it's not the closing of healing it's actually the opening up of connection the opening of an understanding um and permission as you say and so you continue that work in the q2 
What happened for you there? Yeah. So, so basically, I stayed very much in the Hoffman work uh, after my process, and I decided a couple of years later to come back and do the Q two. And I arrived for the Q two, and the Q two is a shorter experience for anyone listening. And we got, I believe, into the second day of Q two at lunchtime, and we were told that we had to evacuate because there was. A very fast-moving wildfire in the area, and the winds were maybe fifty mile an hour winds, um, and they were going to have to actually shut down the generators, and that whole area was being shut down. So we were actually told we should just go home because it was safer. So I remember a lot of people were really struggling because it's jarring, but I just was like, okay. I just got in my car, and there was another lady from Los Angeles, and we just. It was almost midnight by the time I got home because it's like a seven-hour drive. Um, we just left and we drove home, and and I got home to the area that I live in, and I was asleep for three hours, and then my phone went off with one of those, you know, alerts, and there was a wildfire not far from where I lived, and I was told I had to evacuate from my house, and so then I had to evacuate after an evacuation. <laughs> And I just, you know, after that, I don't really, I don't really remember much of my thoughts, but I do remember thinking that, boy, L, you really do learn through trauma, don't you? Like you really do learn through these difficult experiences. And I had this moment where I was like, I don't want this to be my life. I just, I, I want an easier life. I don't want to have to always be running from danger. And that talk about metaphor, that was what I realized my life felt like. That's how high stakes were for me, was like I felt like I was always running from danger. Oh, like you have such a unique story here, but that something in the nature of the flood in your process, the fire in your Q2, and the fire immediately after the Q2 with evacuations of all three of those experiences, had you reflect and say, this is a metaphor for my life and I don't want this. This is too much. I don't want to live like this. Yeah, that was exactly it. It was, I remember it was a turning point in my life. And by that point, I was actually going through a divorce. I was living in a converted trailer on an on a horse property in the middle of the mountains and it was beautiful it was exactly what i wanted i just wanted peace and quiet and i just you know in that moment i was like i've been running my whole life i, I recognized it it was a it was a turning point where i i had been running my whole life from and that's all i can remember i've been running from danger my whole life and, I, and i'm not doing it anymore so that epiphany that you had has a kind of moment in time, possibly L, or maybe a, a cellular body experience, a felt sense as well. Do you remember where you were and what was also happening in your body? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess for me, I realized that from a very young age, I had been, I had panic disorder and I was very anxious and I was always very hypervigilant, which is part of why I couldn't sleep at Hoffman because it's so quiet there, <laughs> you know, going back, that was like part of it. And then here I was living in this horse property out in the middle of nowhere, and it was very, very quiet. 
and I loved it. It was, it's, it's, it's an interesting, but I realized in that moment that I think I had checked out. I was just, I, I think I had shut down. I had just gone through so much in the last, in that five years period. I had gone through so much that I think I had, my body had just shut down and I was disassociating from all of that trauma and all of that danger that I, and then the fire just br- brought it right back. And I was like, okay, you, you, you can't run from this. You need to face whatever, whatever is inside that is, that, that you're so afraid of, you need to face it. And so that was why I decided to go back to the Q2 a couple of months after that, which I finished. Woohoo. Um, <laughs> you know, I finished that one and there was always jokes. One of my teachers called me mother nature. Um, everyone was like, are we going to get to finish this? Cause L's here, but you know, I finished it. And what's really fascinating is as we left, that was right when Kobe Bryant, the, the, the helicopter had gone down and there was that sad passing. And so when I was driving back to Los Angeles, cause this is a, you know, this was Kobe's town. And so we, I came back and like, there was just a lot of grief and a lot of, it was, it was, that's how I go through life is like, I process through, I guess, like the collective energy. Like I do feel everything that's happening round about me and it was really fascinating. But the one thing I will say, you know, to button all of this is that, you know, through a process, through a Q2, through another Q2, I remember I was, I was recently going through all my old paperwork and I was shredding it. And I looked at my intake paper for each one. And each time I was like, I just want to, I want to learn healthy love. I want to learn healthy love. Like I didn't really know what that meant. And now I do. And so I think what I got from all of this was a very, very powerful experience of knowing that I can go through anything and I can survive it and I'll be fine. But also I learned to really love myself, which I guess I didn't know what that even meant. I grew up in Glasgow. That's not really a thing where I'm from. Like it's much more in California, that's more supported. It's more, you know, and so for me, it was, I, I didn't know what it was to love myself. And now I do. L, this idea of what is self-love, but also just acknowledging your words there about processing through the collective that you know through these events that were happening around you you were reading the signs connecting to the metaphors of what was happening inside of you yeah i would say that i've always been very sensitive and i've always been i've always been a little a little afraid of how much i felt i was a, a very very sensitive child and i had a lot i was very emotional and so I guess over the years, a lot of children are like that. And they just, as they grow up, it's like they have, we all have to figure out how to shut that down because you can't go through the world. You know, it's too difficult to live that way. It's painful and difficult to live with a very open heart and very sensitive when you're also wounded, which was the difference. So that combination of sensitive, open heart with, with wounds yes, causes what? I, for me, can't speak for others, of course, but for me, it just created this. I went through life. I was a people pleaser. I overgave. I, I just wanted, I mean, I know it sounds naive and it almost makes me cry. <laughs> it makes me emotional. <laughs> Even still, I'm like, I just, I had this sense that I was like, 
I just want everyone to be happy. And I just wanted everyone to be loved. And I just wanted peace. You know, it was very, it was a very like idealistic. I had a very idealistic outlook, which when you're a very idealistic person and you're in this difficult world, it's very hard. But when you do the work and you really, really connect in with that wounded inner child and you do the shadow work, you do the work inside of yourself that allows you to really face your shame and face your fears and you know even for me with the disassociation part it was just I just couldn't take it anymore I just I had to disconnect from everything and I was kind of shutting down and I didn't like that because that's not who I am and so I think that for me the the entire process over I guess it was five years it really just I learned that healthy love but I, I think I was always looking for love outside of myself I always thought that that validation and love from other people was what I needed to be a better, to be a good person. But now I'm realizing, of course, that that's not the case. That it has to come from within. And that's a journey, isn't it? Realizing that love comes from within is the beginning of it, and then you continue to walk the path of practicing that love within. How did you come to? understand that love comes from within and not outside of you what happened after you had that epiphany after the process i've always been um very passionate about horses so after the process i had actually just recently bought a horse an older horse i had sort of taken her on from somebody at my barn and I realized that, you know, for me, going to the barn every day, being out in nature, having a routine that involved, you know, my horse and other animal and other animals around me, I, I found kind of a zen and I found a safe space with horses. And my horse had a lot of health problems. She's an older horse. But I learned with her, I, I got very grounded and I learned to really like show up in a different way because. I had bought her specifically to ride and then I couldn't ride her. And so my, my plans changed, but my love for her didn't change. So it was like, okay, so how do I, how do I create a fun life for her and for myself? Because we can't do the thing that I thought I needed to do, which was ride. And then I learned so much from just being on the ground with her. And I learned, you know, to connect with her. I learned to listen to her in a different way. And she's very, horses are actually very communicative. They're very emotional. And so I had found out from another Hoffman graduate about this training work. And I actually did sessions with Rebecca. And then I ended up doing the training work, which is called Equus Coaching. Equus Coaching. And um, so now I am almost two months out of my graduation from certification. And I am. I will be working with people on the ground with horses to facilitate, you know, healing work through horses, coaching them. Well, as we wind down, I just want to acknowledge this theme here of you taking what life gives you and working with it and learning from it, whether it's a horse that can't ride because of an illness it has or a process that can't be in the same place because of mother nature. You really have this ability to be resilient in the face of the challenges in life. 
Do you see that too? I do know. And I will say that the thing that I've learned is that, you know, life is just, once I really sunk into my, once I allowed myself to sink into being spirit led, I, I started to listen more. I started to really pay attention to what was happening around about me. And I would see that every single person, every single challenge, every single good thing, every single bad thing, anything that you have that comes at you in life as a lesson and if you're willing to allow things to teach you then you gain a lot of wisdom through that and that's really what I just surrendered to and then one of the other things was I recently realized that and I'm sure this is true for everyone but like I just came here I think like as a being I came here to learn to love that's really I'm here to learn the lessons of love and and however those show up for me and so I've surrendered into that. Okay, so what can I take from this? What can I learn from this? How can this make me a more loving person, a more tolerant person? Um, and that's really my lessons, and that's my that's my journey. I'm here to learn the lessons of love. Elle, thank you for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.